Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Thanks, James. I appreciate it, man. James has been a good friend. Um, I am not from here. I might not sound quite like y'all do when I talk. I, I, when I say I, I have a long I. You know, y'all say like light and right and tight. I say tight and kite, you know. So people at Three Forks look at me like I've got three heads sometimes. Um, I'm from uh, Durham, North Carolina, just about 150 miles down the road, and that is my beautiful wife there, right there on the fourth or fifth row with my girls there, Haley and Layla. And uh, we're glad to be here. James has been a good friend. We're, we have our own group of associates that gets together every so often, every month we try to, and he's been a good part of that the past, uh, you've been here three years almost? Almost three years, yeah. And um, our four-year anniversary is in January. We love it here. We're so grateful to be here, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be here with you guys. Um, we're going to be, real quick, and I don't, want, I don't want anybody to answer any specific questions, but just show of hands, how many of y'all have had um, your job or your income or something like that impacted by the coronavirus? Show of hands. Yeah, several, many of you have. Um, and I'm just a 32-year-old kid from Durham, North Carolina. I don't have the answers for you, but we're going to talk about the one who does today and that's the best hope that I can give you uh, we're going to be in second Samuel normally I have um, I have everybody stand when I read scripture but we're going to be in two separate passages for a good bit of the time so if you wouldn't mind just turning your Bible to second uh, Samuel chapter number six we're going to spend half the time there and then we're going to be in Leviticus but you don't have to turn there just yet. Just sec, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And if you take notes, and I, I, I encourage you um, to be in the habit of taking notes, whether you're in the student ministry and James is speaking or, or teaching or preaching, or you're in here and James or myself or your Gideon speaker, whoever else is preaching the Word of God, no matter where you are, take notes. Always take notes because you, you'll remember more. You can go back and revisit it as time goes on. It's a big help. Uh, the title of what we're, we're going to talk about today is called Judgment and Grace. And 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the, with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out, the, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And let, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be back inside. God, we thank you that your church, no matter what happens, whether it's pandemic government intrusion, 
whatever, God, your church is going to continue. Your body of believers will always be here. We may not always be able to meet in orthodox ways. We may not always be able to get the gospel out in orthodox ways. But Lord, your church will stand forever. And as your word says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are grateful for that promise today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you in your word. Lord, I pray that my, my words would not be seen as from me, but as from you. Lord, that I would be completely ignored as I shine the spotlight on you as our Savior and as our holy God. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. Please forgive us of our sins. God, we are, we are so indebted to you for the salvation that you've bestowed upon us and the payment that you paid for us on the cross. We are not worthy, but we are so grateful. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we do pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant, what that is, uh, and a man named Uzzah uh, who made a, a very grave mistake. And my wife hates when I preach on Uzzah because it's her favorite character in the Bible because she feels sorry for Uzzah. And maybe when I'm done, you might feel sorry for Uzzah too. But for those of you who don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it is, it is a box, a really special box that was overlaid with gold. It had two uh, statues of angels called cherubim on the front with, with wings over them. It had, it had uh, rings on each side where they would slide poles through it to carry it. And on the inside of it, uh, at this point, at this point, uh, on the inside was jars of manna, golden jars of manna, uh, uh, Aaron's staff that had budded, as well as the tablets of Moses containing the Ten Commandments. That, we find that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. And the Ark of the Covenant is how God chose to make his presence known among Israel. This was before the temple was built. Okay, So God had the tent of meeting. He had ordained the Levites to be priests to, to carry the sacred objects. And there was one object that had to be carried really carefully and that was the Ark of the Covenant. It had to be transported not just on the shoulders of Levites but a special group of Levites known as Kohathites. Okay? No man was to look on it, look into it, and no man was to touch it, lest he die. That's in Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. Now let's, let's go back to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 5, and we're going to see why the Ark of the Covenant is being moved in the first place. And in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, we see it says, When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up, set it up beside Dagon. Now, Dagon was a false god. He was known as the fish god. Um, he had arms, and he had a torso, and he had a head, and he kind of had like a little mermaid tail. And that was a god that the Philistines worshipped. And what they did was they brought the Ark of the Covenant and put it inside the beside Dagon. That's a no-no, just, just so you know. At the end of verse 3, it, it says, And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face forward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back up in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon 
and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. The, the Lord was so insulted after two days, he destroyed their idol. Even gave a bunch of people tumors and afflictions in uh, Ashdod. And so what they did was, that we got to get this thing out of here. We got to put it, we got to get it away. So what they did was, they put it on a brand new cart with two milk cows and sent it on its way back to Israel. And this is where we see uh, the problem begin. Samuel took the Ark of the Covenant and put it into the house of Abinadab. And Abinadab has three sons. Eliezer, who was in charge of the Ark. Ahio and Uzzah. Uzzah spent probably 20 years or more with the Ark of the Covenant in his father's home. And then all of a sudden, David wants to move it from Abinadab's house back to Jerusalem. And so Uzzah and everyone else there decides that they're going to put the Ark of God on a cart. They get the oxen. It's a brand new cart. They, they ignore the, the, the command of God to carry the Ark of the Covenant the way that he had said it to be carried. With the poles, no man touches it. No man looks inside of it. They placed it on the cart, and it says that the oxen stumbles. Now, Uzzah's got a decision to make, a really fast split-second decision. Like, like, how many of you have ever had to catch your kids from falling off the countertop before? Like, they've climbed up to get something from the, from the cabinet. They want the gummy bears or something, and, the, and they slip, and you see it the corner of your eye they slip and they fall and you reach out and you catch them that's your instincts first thing you think of i'm going to catch them you don't even have to think about it uzzah has a split second decision to make because the oxen stumbles and the cart shifts and he thinks oh no the ark is going to fall and so what does he do does he let it fall in the dirt or does he put his hand up to catch it and that's the decision he has to make now all, all of us all of us would make the same decision We've got to save the ark of God from falling into the dirt. So that's exactly what he does. Immediately, oxen stumbles. Without even thinking, he puts his hands up. Immediately, says the anger of the Lord breaks out against Uzzah, and he strikes him down dead. Absolutely dead right there. And he said, David got mad. But I'm going to tell you this. Do you think God really cared that David was mad? He did not care that David was mad. God had made uh, the Ark of the Covenant to be sacred. God had made the Ark of the Covenant to be his presence in, uh, within Israel and within his people. And Uzzah made the mistake of thinking that his hand was better than the dirt. The human hand that has rebelled against God, Adam and Eve, the very first two people, rebelled against God. You and I, every day, rebel against God. Uzzah thought, that his hand was better than the dirt. The dirt that had not rebelled against God. And because Uzzah's unholy hand touched the Ark of the Covenant, God's judgment fell immediately. There was no waiting. There, there was no big spectacle. He, waited, he immediately struck him down dead. In 1 Samuel chapter 6 and 7, it says when they bring it back in, some of the Levites actually looked into the, into the Ark, and God killed 70 of them immediately struck him down dead right then and there now let's flip over to leviticus chapter number 10 
And in Leviticus chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 3, we see a story here. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So what they did was a censer. I don't know if you've ever been to like a Greek Orthodox funeral. Um, they, they, have, they have the censers that they carry up and down the aisles and they smoke with the incense. They, they had these golden, it was like lanterns, but they were a little bit bigger. And they burned incense as an offering to the Lord. And it says here in verse number one that they offered an unauthorized fire or a strange fire, some of your translations might say, before the Lord. And in verse two, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Does anybody see a, a, a problem with this? You've got two, two young men, probably in their 30s, maybe their 40s, and, and they're fairly new to this priest stuff. Okay? They, they offer an unauthorized sacrifice. The Bible doesn't exactly say what the infraction was other than it was unauthorized or it was a strange fire. Maybe there was a procedural error. Maybe they did it at the wrong time of day. We don't know, and there's no need to speculate on that. But all we know is that they, they offered a sacrifice that God had not ordained, and it's, God struck them down dead immediately, just like Uzzah, just like the 70 men. For something seemingly really small to us, God struck them down dead. And we're going to see why in verse number 3. He tells him, he tells Moses to tell Aaron, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. God will not share glory with anyone. God does not let his holiness down for anyone. And it says in verse number three at the very end, and I love this, because as a dad, I, I, can, I can just totally relate to Aaron here. It says, and Aaron held his peace. Do you think that if God struck your children down for a sin that they committed immediately, that you would be okay with that? And I don't want the super spiritual answer, okay? Of course, everybody's like, yeah, amen, right? You know, hey, they deserve it, which they do. But all of us, just like David with Uzzah, would be angry with God. We would all have something that we would want to say to God in defense of our children. But in verse 3, it says, and Aaron held his peace. Why? Because of very simply, he knew he had no recourse. He knew that he had no argument. He knew that there was nothing he could say, not only that could bring his boys back, but there was nothing he could say to justify them violating the holiness of God. Now, we live in an age of grace. And I'm afraid that like Uzzah with the Ark of the Covenant, spending so much time with his father's house, we have grown too accustomed to grace. How many of us, and I don't want to show of hands, I want, I want you to really think about this, how many of us commit sin knowing that it's sin, and we think, oh, well, I'll, I'll ask the Lord for forgiveness later? How many of us violate the Word of God, whether it's small or big, knowing that God despises it 
and God hates it, and God calls it sinful, or God might even call it an abomination, and we say, well, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. I'll ask for forgiveness later. How presumptuous of a people we have become. How pretentious is, is it of us to think that we are owed the grace of God? Where in Scripture, and I, 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 I want someone to find this for me, where in Scripture does it say that God owes you or me forgiveness? You will not find it. I promise you, you will not find it. Now, the good thing is about our God is He is a forgiving God. At our core, we're selfish. Okay? We are grudge holders. At God's core, He is generous. He is selfless. But the fact remains that God is still holy. That has not changed. God's justice will always prevail. Not, it doesn't always have to happen on this earth, but in the very end at Judgment Day, His righteousness will be the theme of the day and He will rule and reign. And all those evildoers will get what they have rightfully come into them. But, but here's the problem with the church today. You and I, myself included, fall into the category of the evildoers more oftentimes than we do the righteous. More times than not, we, we, we could be confused for God's enemies than we could for God's people. Church, that, that is not okay. That's not okay for me. I've been working, you know, James asked me to preach about three weeks ago, and I've been, I've been preaching this almost every day in my head for three weeks, and it's been really, really convicting to me. Because even the small things, God makes a very big deal of. You, you want to know how big of a deal it was to him? Even the small things is what caused him to go to the cross. Even the small, little, small sins that we think are just absolutely insignificant are the ones that put him on the cross. Not just murder, not just homosexuality, not just abortion, not just... We, and we tend to elevate the sins. Look, God hates it all. God calls it, uh, it's cosmic treason is what it is. We have put ourselves in the place of God and on his throne when we do that. Now the good news is that for the believer, for those of us who are actual believers, and, and all of you can think of someone, and maybe this is you, you're a believer, but you're not really a believer. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you grew up going to youth group. Maybe you went to VBS and you went to camp. You made that profession of faith, but you never actually repented of your sinful condition. Maybe you've never actually put your faith completely in Christ and you're walking around and you're a fraud. I did that for years. I did that for many years. I grew, I grew up uh, a lot like James did in the independent Baptist scene. Um... Uh, in, in, in a very different world than the SBC uh, when it comes to stuff like this. But I was able to weasel around because I filled out my Bible reading card and I filled out my church attendance card and I went to church and I went to camp and I went to VBS, but my heart had not changed. Nothing about me had really changed. I was seeking the approval of others trying to get that stamp from my youth pastor or from my Sunday school teacher or from my, I went to a Christian school from the teachers that we had, and I was able to just slide right around. How many of you are sliding right around? 
Now, how many of you are believers that you have placed your faith in Christ? You have repented. You have turned away from that former life. And you have put your faith in the only thing that's going to save you. And that's the work of Jesus. How many of you are dabbling in known sin? The scripture calls that evil. But here's the good news. In Romans 8, chapter, one, verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, it tells us that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, so the good news is this, that even though God is holy, if you have repented, there is forgiveness to be had. That Jesus has already paid for your sin debt. That your place in heaven has already been secured. But I have to question if we are continually going into known sin in our everyday personal life behind our spouse's back, behind our pastor's back, behind our brothers and sisters' back, are we truly saved? Are we truly living for God? Now, whenever we meet God for the first time, whenever Jesus calls us to salvation, that doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. Okay, you, you've got this dual nature that's warring inside of you. You've got the Holy Spirit that is, that is supposed to be increasing every day. And then you've got your old sinful heart that's supposed to be decreasing every single day. And some days, that sinful heart is going to get the best of you. Sometimes it is. You know, I, I've, I've been a pastor for 10 years, uh, 11 years, actually. And I'm ashamed of the things that I still struggle with. It's absolutely humiliating the things that I still struggle with. Humiliating not before you, because y'all are messed up too. (laughs) It's it's humiliating before God. That I have to go back and say, it's me again. I've done it again. I've failed you again. What is stopping God from striking me down like he did Uzzah? or the sons of Aaron, or the 70 men who just looked into the Ark of the Covenant? What's stopping him? Because he would have every right to. Do that to me and to you. But y'all look. There's a God out there who loves you. There's a Savior. His name is Jesus. He came to die for you, just for you. It tells us in Ephesians that before the foundation of the world... God chose you to be his people. That's that's the Bible, y'all. It's not like it's by accident. Y'all didn't find Jesus on accident. Jesus has worked everything in your life to bring you to this moment, to bring you to the moment where you repent, to the moment where you receive him as Lord, where you place him on the throne and you serve him as God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working for that for you so you can take heart that as God's people, that even though you deserve the Uzzah treatment or the Nadab and Abihu treatment, even though you deserve to be struck down for your sin, God doesn't always do that. God has mercy. He loves mercy. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon I love. It says, O sinners, you are standing over the mouth of hell upon a single plank, and that plank is rotten. It is not but for the grace of God that you and I, before we met Christ, did not die and go to an eternal hell. Because that happens. There are people 
in this world that are going to die and go to hell. An everlasting place. The Bible says it never ends. A place of torment. But, but for the grace of God, He has caused you to repent. He has brought that in your life. He has worked that work in your heart. And we trample it. We throw mud on it. We think that we're something when we're nothing. When we realize just how unholy we are before an unholy God, it'll make us feel about that big or smaller. Praise the Lord for Jesus. Praise the Lord for forgiveness. Praise the Lord that even though He is holy, He is patient. He has given me and you chance after chance after chance. Y'all, I've got three points. I'm not a long-winded preacher. Some of y'all are thanking the Lord for that. I've got three points I want you to write down. Number one, and this has to be number one in everything that we do. The Lord God is holy above all else. Holy means set apart, higher than. God is above all things. His standard of holiness will never be watered down. Just because we think that we or someone else is getting away with something, we're not. Number two, we are all deserving of his judgment. Every single person is born dead. I know that's an oxymoron. Sure, your heart's beating and your lungs are breathing, but your soul is as dead as it ever was. And it takes an encounter with Christ to make it alive. We are all born deserving of his judgment. And then thirdly, God's grace and mercy are not owed to us. That's what makes grace grace. You know, if I, if I, called, uh, if I called Nick McNeely and I said, Hey, Nick, I, w- I want you to come mow my grass every week. I'll give you a million dollars a week to mow my grass. He would come mow my grass. That's just what he would do. And I ask you, is that grace? And the answer to that question is no. That's not grace. It's a really good payday, but it's not grace. He provides a, provides a service. I provide a really good payment. Grace is being given something that you cannot earn, that you cannot deserve. Being given the unmerited favor of God, meaning you cannot possibly deserve it, but God has chosen to give it to you anyway. So when we approach God and say, oh, he'll forgive me later. Where do you find that? The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we ask, but why do we approach our life as if grace and mercy are owed to us? The big idea for today's message is our lives, and I want you to write this down too, our lives must reflect the ultimate regard for God's holiness. Not my holiness. It's not about me. It's all about him. You know, if I, if I walk around, you know, well, look how holy I am today. You know, that's not good. I can, I can stick my chest out all day long when I refrain from sinning. But it's not for the grace of God that I refrain from sinning. It's not but for the grace of God that I, that I push away a sin in my life. My life, your life, must reflect 
the ultimate regard for God's holiness. Why? Because he deserves it. We're talking about the creator of the universe. The one who with the power to speak the cosmos into existence. The one who, the only thing he fashioned with his hands was the, was the man. Everything else that we see, plants, animals, air, was spoken into existence. The one that says he is higher than anything else. The one who says, I don't think like you do. And you don't think like I do. My ways are higher than your ways. As his people, who it's only because of his grace that we are his people, we owe him that much. To give the ultimate regard for God's holiness. Let's bow our heads and let's, let's pray. While we pray, I want you to reflect. You know, Pastor James said that y'all are doing communion this next coming week. I would encourage you right now to, to examine your life and do it every, week, every day this week. We need to do it every day, y'all. But I want you to really examine your life. Are you giving the ultimate regard for God's holiness within your personal life? Father, we thank you that even though we deserve what us we got, we deserve what the sons of Aaron got. Lord, that you don't give us what we deserve. Lord, we are grateful for Jesus. Lord, without him, we are still dead in our trespasses. Father, I pray that you would search me. I pray that you would forgive me of what you find there. And I pray that you would bring it to my attention. Lord, help me to repent of the sin that I hold. Lord, I pray that you would be with all these people within the sound of my voice, whether you're here in person, maybe you're live streaming, maybe on the radio, I'm not really sure. God, I pray that you would get glory out of our life because you deserve that. You're the only one that's worthy of that. And I pray, Father, a prayer of forgiveness and a prayer of repentance that, that I've ever taken your grace and mercy for granted, that I've ever thought, well, he'll just forgive me later. Lord, I'm sorry. I pray that you would make me better, not for, not for my glory, but for your glory. God, be glorified in who we are. We love you. We thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to hear your word. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.